<clears throat> Hi, and welcome back to This Week in Voice, Season 8, Episode 9. My name is Bradley Metrock. I'm CEO of Project Voice. Uh, we've got a fantastic panel for you today. Um, we're really excited about Project Voice 2023. It's not quite yet 30 days out, but we're getting close. Um, and uh, a lot going on um, with the Conversational AI Leadership Council, a lot going on with um, the buzz around everything that ChatGPT is creating, um, and uh, we're excited about it. Um, we've got a fantastic panel of guests uh, on the show, and Amy, I'm going to start with you. Um, take a moment, tell us who you are, uh, and tell us about Authentic X, right? Authentics. Authentics. Perfect. Uh, yeah. Tell us all about it. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Um, yeah. I started Authentics in 2018 after spending 20 years uh, living and working in the complex uh, mess that is our healthcare system. And I do not have a technical background. I have an operations background and uh, ran contact centers as a big part of my career. And I became super fascinated with the power of those conversations and yet how very little they were leveraged and utilized for business strategy. And so uh, maybe with a big chip on my shoulder, <laughs> I decided to leave my corporate career and start Authentics with the goal of uh, leveraging AI to help healthcare industry listen at scale to the customer voices that flow into their, uh, into their brand and into their company all day, every day. And so Authentics considers itself part of the conversational intelligence, uh, uh, suite of, of products, but we really focus on listening and helping leaders make sense of, uh, the themes, issues that are driving, uh, business value. And we only work uh, in healthcare. And so our AI models uh, have been trained exclusively by uh, healthcare conversational data uh, labeled by healthcare professionals. And uh, therefore, our models are really focused on solving uh, problems that healthcare companies are, are uniquely faced with. <clears throat> That's excellent. Authentics. So yeah. So as I as I routinely say on this show, I'm born and raised in the South, so it takes me a little bit longer uh, than most people. But uh, thank you for joining us. Um, next up is Lauren Koretsky. Lauren, say hello. Hi everyone. Thanks so much for having me today. Um, Lauren Koretsky, um, Vice President of Partnerships and Client Experience at Wiza. Um, at Wiza, we are a global mental health organization using AI um, to handle everything from low to moderately high individuals dealing with depression, anxiety, stress, sleep issues, relationship challenges, etc. Um, WISA was built in 2016. Um, to date, we've served over 5 million individuals. We've had half a billion conversations using our AI tool. And we're present currently in 65 countries. So really um, helping as globally as we can to help scale um, the overwhelming gap in resources to need um, that exists in mental health and has only continued to grow and gotten exacerbated um, in the last few years as a result of the pandemic. Um, our chatbot that drives the AI is using um, a combination of tools, largely conversational. So the chatbot is intended to feel like a friend that you're talking to. In fact, um, an early tagline was your 4 a.m. friend because everyone needs someone that will listen to them when they're dealing with challenges. And those challenges don't always fit neatly into a box with a therapist once a week or once a month um, if you're lucky to get an appointment. And so um, we are in the North American market as well as, like I said, globally um, with a, a relatively new entry into this um, geographic region in the last two years. So I'm really happy to be here and meet everybody on the panel today. Well, that's great. And it's great to have healthcare covered by by both of y'all and, and just appreciate both of y'all participating. Uh, Lauren, thank you for that. Sure. Uh, Amir, uh, with TalkSense, uh, welcome. Great to have you. Tell us who you are. Tell us who you're with. 
Yeah, hi Bradley. Hi everyone. Thank you very much for having me today. Um, so uh, I'm the co-founder and uh, CEO of DocSense. And what we uh, focus on is uh, helping organizations uh, actually fight their internal bureaucracy. So essentially every organization will have a lot of uh, people working for them and uh, they need to, uh, to send out their report where whether they are a healthcare organization or a commercial, industrial, logistics, et cetera, everyone needs the, to, uh, to update their status, their meeting summaries, uh, their feedback, inventory, whatever. And we find that a lot of uh, organization just doesn't have, uh, uh, doesn't get this uh, information uh, in time uh, accurately enough. Uh, it's a hustle. Everybody works with a CRM, um, knows that uh, they basically hate typing in, typing in all the information. Um, anyone who works in sales probably can sympathize with that. 60% uh, of data doesn't get in from some statistics and we want to solve it uh, through voice. So by talking to um, uh, an interface, it could be our native application, our customer's application, edge device, et cetera, the user can simply uh, speak out all the information they want. And what we will do, we will process that um, beyond transcription. So we're not transcribing the information and put it elsewhere. We just capturing the information and process that based on our own proprietary uh, uh, technology. Uh, and we push it to the right location. So whether it is a Salesforce CRM or another platform, user can speak, it can be in any language. And based on our secret sauce, we are able to kind of uh, find the right matches or to manipulate even the input so that it will fit to what the platform is uh, looking for. Um, so we service customers in different use cases and uh, territories, and um, I'm very excited to be here today. That's, that's great, and we appreciate you being here. Your last name is Soraya. Am I pronouncing that right? Yeah, I'm based in Israel. I'm from Israel, and it's, it's in Hebrew, it is Soya. I'm not expecting you to practice that now, but uh, we can take it offline. Okay. All right. No, yeah. Okay. Fine. Thank you for uh, Thank you for joining us. And uh, last but not least, Rana, welcome back to the show. Uh, Rana Gujral of Behavioral Signals. Uh, tell, us, tell us what you do. Bradley, thanks for having me back here. Um, Rana Gujral, the CEO of Behavioral Signals. Uh, Behavioral Signals is, a, is an applied AI company that's focused on uh, certain specific areas of dialogue processing and conversational AI. Um, our core has been in extracting intelligence and signals from the tone of voice um, or the field of behavioral signal processing. In many ways, uh, we're the pioneers in this space. We came up with uh, the first implementations of tone of voice engines, um, and we've continued to push the boundaries uh, around this technology ever since. Um, roughly, to understand the technology, it's extracting intelligence real time. Um, that could be uh, roughly categorized in three buckets, uh, emotions like anger, happiness, sadness, then there's behaviors like engagement, empathy, politeness. And then uh, the third bucket is probably the most interesting. These are macro KPIs that the industry really cares about, such as um, pinpointing a live NPS core in the moment, uh, customer satisfaction uh, metric um, of how a person's feeling at the point. Also. Uh, other advanced things such as identifying some uh, someone's stress level or duress level or even control um, and other aspects of uh, agent engagement, uh, etc. We've also built a few advanced uh, prediction engines like predicting the intent to buy, predicting the intent to pay all, all real time. Um, and uh, we have a specific product that we've uh, bought to market, which we call AI mediated conversations engine that creates a conversational bioprint, which is, uh, which, is a com which is a vector file of about 75 to 100 attributes that uniquely identifies how someone converses. And then using that information, we create intelligent matches in a call center, contact center. Um, so as you guessed, I mean, our primary implementations uh, are in, a, uh, in the contact center space, uh, both uh, collection, CX, sales, et cetera. Uh, but we also have some other advanced use cases that we apply at and we work with our friendly, uh, you know, neighborhood three letter agencies um, in the United States and in Five Eyes um, and so on some other advanced use cases as well. So we have sort of a dual focus, um, both on the CX side, contact center and other um, ancillary use cases. So, yeah, um, thanks for having me, Bradley.
Yeah, great to have you. Uh, great to have all four of you, and uh, appreciate y'all making the time and and just being so generous with with your knowledge as well. So with that, we're going to get into the news, and we're going to combine stories number one A and one B here, and just talk about generative for a minute. Story one A: What's new with GPT four from processing pictures to async tests? Uh, an article from The Verge that. Uh, uh, somebody uh, spent a long time putting together uh, really, really well done. 1B is Anthropic unveils generative AI chatbot Claude. And uh, that's from uh, from our friends at voicebot.ai. So we'll go through the same order uh, that we did introductions in. And, and Ron, if you don't mind muting yourself back. Um, the... Uh, my first question, uh, and Amy, I'll, you know, I'll start with you and, and uh, Lauren and Amir and then Rana. Um, first of all, is it's been a busy week <laughs> with, with all this generative stuff. And uh, the first question is, what stands out most to you between these two stories in terms of what's been going on? My second question, and I'll just throw it in there, is... Um, you know, Anthropic really wants to present this in the VoiceBot article presented this as that everybody wants to frame themselves as the competitor to ChatGPT. Do you view this as Anthropic being a worthy competitor of ChatGPT or that will ultimately have a million different players and Anthropic is just who this article happened to be written about? So, so paint me a picture with your thoughts. Well, I'm a mama for uh, school age kids. And one of the things I thought about was uh, whether or not they were going to use the new uh, GPT-4 to pass all their exams. <laughs> so I was like, oh man, I got to make sure they're still actually being educated and, and exercising their brains. So that's one of the things that stood out for me, but that's personal and I digress on, on that. I mean, I found myself thinking about cultural implications um, and just how, especially like in companies um, like Lauren's, you know, how, how do we make sure that um, these bots and the technology uh, considers the cultural implications, not just the language, language uh, implications? Um, I, you know, take take home message was, you know, they continue to mess up. So let's not overly emphasize uh, uh, what they can do. The, the Claude AI uh, tool, one of the things that I thought was really cool that stood out to me was just their focus on uh, behavioral, uh, being able to kind of match their uh, customer, their user based on behavior. It made me wonder if you could like put in your Enneagram or your DISC uh, assessment and have it adjust uh, to you and your style. Um, I thought that was a really uh, a differentiating point that they seem to uh, uh, connect on and also um, that they are uh, more accurate, less, less able to make mistakes. I found myself wanting to know more about why that is. <clears throat> yeah, uh, no, look, I think that's, um, I'm in complete agreement with a number of things you just said, you know, we, my wife and I have an 11 year old son. And um, there's no telling how different his educational path will be, uh, just from here to the end of, you know, K 12, much less whatever comes after that. Um, there was there was a there's a visual that's floating around. I don't think it's in the verge piece, but it's been kind of floating around the internet where it shows um, how how GPT-4 uh, and GPT-3.5 before it has done on standardized tests. And uh, the, the answer is uh, shockingly well for the majority of them, which raises the question of what value do those have anymore? That's probably a longer conversation. That's, that's great commentary. Lauren, I'm coming to you. Same questions. Um, you know, you're thoughts as you sort of gaze upon these two stories and if you think this is shaping up to be a competition between juggernauts or if there's just going to be a lot of different players yeah i mean i think two things stood out for me um in particular first was sort of along the same side uh same lines that you and amy were both relaying just 
but in the sense of things being, you know, teaching to the test, so to speak. So in other words, um, it can memorize a certain output and spit that back, but it's not actually learning, which I think is important from an education or a parenting perspective, which I know is not the theme here, but that's just something that's um, stood out to me because similarly, you know, have those thoughts as well. We all kind of grew up in a time where you had to really study and put in the effort and, you know, reap the reward, so to speak. And now, um, not that there weren't shortcuts before, but what does this mean for society in general in terms of how we measure um, progress and learning and evolution and education, um, obviously is, is kind of a more philosophical reaction to the article, but I would say just concretely, what really stood out to me was just how fast this is shifting. I mean, a few months ago, the general mainstream would have had no idea about any of this. Right. And now we're not just talking about one, we're talking about one, its improvements and a major competitor potentially. And so I think it's just, um, you know, emblematic of the space that this all is taking place in and how you can't really call anything um, to be set in stone as it's evolving in real time and, you know, the the continuous um, changes. The other thing that came to mind for me was, you know, getting kind of back to health, um, healthcare, which is where, you know, I've spent 20 years is around the health equity component of it, right? So, um, access to this type of technology is not for is not going to be available for everyone and the benefits of it are not going to be accessible for everyone. So how do we really prevent this from being another way that becomes kind of more like concierge medicine or something where only a, a small percentage of the population reaps the benefits and making sure that there's guardrails put in place so it doesn't sort of go off into a place where um, there's the haves and the haves not have nots that are benefiting um, from these types of advancements in care. Those were the things that really stood out for me. No, I think that's great. And it it, it echoes, um, seems like I have, I'm having a lot of conversations these days about the parallels between what's going on now and what uh, hap, you know was going on four or five years ago. Um, because when Alexa surged into the public for it's all anybody wanted to talk about, created a lot of ethical concerns. That was all a lot of people wanted to talk about. But with regards to equity issues, those were also talked about because Amazon's customer base gravitates, uh, and it skews, probably a better word, skews uh, more educated, skews more affluent. And consequently, uh, people who had access to Alexa and Echo devices skewed the same way. And uh, so there was a lot of equity issues that came out of that. And today, um, it looks a little different because it's different players, uh, but the, still the same themes are kind of bubbling up to the surface. And uh, your comments are, are well, well, well made and well taken. Amir, I'm coming to you. Um, same question for you. What stood out between these two stories and what's happened this week with all this stuff and uh, your thoughts on the competitive landscape of it all? Sure. So obviously, the the release of uh, ChatGPT4 is a major. It's all over. It's major um, news issues. It's all over, uh, and um, uh, echoing uh, Emmy's uh, feedback, uh, my uh, high school kid also uh, came to me the day after the release and said, "Hey, did you see what's new in the latest ChatGPT?" And it's not like he's uh, you know twenty years programmer in the industry. So it's really. What's uh, um, interesting for me to see, um, uh, obviously the the speed that, as you mentioned, that that that, that we see uh, these new um, upgrades in the already overwhelming technology, um, uh, and we didn't talk about the, the the visual generative AI, the mid journeys, and and the rest of them, which is really mind uh, mind blowing, um, and. Um, and it, it's fascinating to see that it, um, the information about that and the, and, um, the curiosity that it uh, generates goes around all different types of audiences, um, not related to the tech industry, not related to the software industry. It's really all over. Um, and, uh, um, and it's really going to be kind of connected to the other question. It will be very interesting to see how this will be um, 
um, manifested into um, different products or services. Because as soon as a, a new uh, LLM, uh, large language model is released or a new AI tool is released, we start to see uh, the possible applications of it, how you can write your resume, how you can uh, generate um, uh, social media content, et cetera, et cetera. And the new tools that allows you to do that, relying on the open AI or you know, um, the other uh, competitive, which will uh, come wrong because we already see the, the other giants kind of uh, making their ways into releasing their own uh, tools. We just saw the, the Google's uh, recent AI uh, um, demo of what's coming up into the Google platform. So it's going to be very interesting. And, and um, as for Claude, it's, uh, again, it's uh, um, uh, the way that it kind of brings the generative AI into the, the enterprise world, uh, uh, whether it is a, a smart uh, chatbot or a contact center um, agent, so to speak. Um, it seems like, like we are kind of um, moved uh, significantly in the past few uh, months um, and the future seems exciting, but also in some way uh, frightening. It's interesting they named it Claude. It, it reminds me of um, the conversations we had years ago, again, on the voice assistant side of things. Like I remember, you know, when Bank of America came out and said, hey, our thing is Eric called Erica. <laughs> and for them, it makes sense because that's like five seventh of the word America, right? But um, but there were still questions around, you know, uh, making that uh, with a with a female identity. There was a lot of stuff with that, and uh, it's interesting to see how you know some of the same things with these chatbots now. Uh, we're we're reliving a little bit of that, but. No, I thought that was great. So, Rana, I'm coming to you. Um, same question uh, as before. Your thoughts on the events of this week and and the competitiveness of all of this? Yeah, I think. I mean, first off, I mean, ChatGPT three was um, very impressive, and GPT four is an order of magnitude more impressive, um, and it's uh, it's quite exciting actually to see the progression. Um, it's it's different in a few ways. We should talk about that. Um, it's uh, more robust uh, from a perspective of uh, sort of gaming the prompts. Uh, it's less easier to fool than ChatGPT. I've, I've played around with that, and it's definitely harder. Um, it's also uh, very different from a perspective that it's multimodal. Uh, it can understand images and other aspects. Uh, other modalities are also being added pretty quickly, which is pretty mind-boggling, the fact that you know, one of the demos showed that you could write a um, on a piece of paper, uh, sort of like a concept of a web page, and then take a picture, um, and then it understands it, does an OCR, creates uh, a full website based on just a handwritten note on a uh, on a piece of paper. Uh, pretty impressive. Um, it can process a lot more words. Um, I think about eight to ten times, uh, about twenty five thousand words at once. Uh, than ChatGPT3, uh, it, it's uh, extremely uh, powerful. And uh, the most exciting, in my opinion, is that it's less likely to um, respond to disallowed content, um, which makes it safer to use, which was always a concern. So which then in turn means that they can, you know, turn the tap on on the full power of it, because most of the, you know, the, the audience never really sort of uh, get got a feel of the real chat GPT-3. This was sort of like the retail version, which wasn't really the, the more powerful version. Uh, we did like, you know, so, so if, if you're in academia and you have access to certain things, it could actually get access to the real chat GPT-3, uh, which uh, has a lot more capability. So chat GPT-4, I think more of the sort of the regular users, common users would get access to the powerful version because it's safer to the safety built in. So I think it's really, really interesting. Um, I think um, now coming back to uh, Anthropics Claude, um, I think for me, the most interesting thing that stood out in Claude was 
um, the concept of uh, the constitutional AI, which they came up with, which I thought was pretty unique. So I think the way it works is that they've come up with sort of like, you know, just like 10 commandments, they've come up with sort of 10 principles um, and they've sort of called it the constitutional AI and they haven't really made those public, uh, but uh, they're uh, sort of like, you know, grounded in three sort of larger themes. One is uh, positive impact. And then there is, um, you know, the safety, which is uh, avoiding giving harmful advice. And then the third is the freedom of choice, uh, respecting that. And um, so this is new, right? So GPT-4 doesn't really do that. It has some filters, but it doesn't really have say a code of conduct or a constitution. And so here, I mean, Claude, if you give it an input and it comes out with an output, uh, it revises the responses in accordance with the constitution. And, um, and it comes up with a response that is sort of in line with that code of conduct or, and um, it's more human-like, I guess. So it's more society-like uh, in that sense, which is pretty interesting. Um, and, um, from what I understand, I haven't really played out, played much with Claude, but it's, uh, a pretty effective, pretty, uh, smart system. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, I think we're seeing a, many of these, uh, implementations come to Forte. Um, so it's, it's, um, fairly exciting times. Yeah. Well, there's no doubt about that. And, uh, yeah, no, I, I, um, uh, you know, I was just having a conversation with a member of the media about this before coming on the show about and, and was asked the question, are are these companies working with generative AI capable of self-regulating, um, whether large or some of the startups or what, regardless of the size? And the answer is not just no, it's hell no. <laughs> you know, they, no, we've seen it over and over and over again. And they would love to have you think that what they're doing is sufficient. And I'm, and it, there's no shortage of well-intentioned people who work for these companies. But uh, if history has anything to tell us, it's that whether in technology-related companies or other types of companies, uh, companies do not police themselves, especially when it comes to something this competitive. We've I struggle to think of anything with this level of competitiveness uh, than AI has right now. There's so much on the line. And when push comes to shove, not just with capitalistic measurements, but societal measurements. And uh, so it's it's good that there's, you know, companies thinking about it, but is it sufficient to ward off third-party involvement? I would say, uh, let's hope not, um, would be my reaction to that. I want to go in reverse order for story number two, because it dovetails well off, off the back of uh, what we just got done talking about. I'm going to read this headline. <clears throat> this is from the New York Times. How Siri, Alexa, and Google Assistant lost the AI race. <clears throat> I'll read the, uh, the subhead here. The virtual assistants had more than a decade to become indispensable, <clears throat> but they were hampered by clunky design and miscalculations leaving room for chatbots to rise. So, Rod, I'm gonna start with you and go in the reverse order. What's next for voice assistants? Uh, is it uh, nothing for a while? Uh, are they about to surge back? Uh, paint me a picture, what, what are, what's the next chapter? Yeah, but before I, say, before I respond to that, I just wanna uh, add a comment to your uh, previous uh, sort of uh, message. So regulation, self-regulation. So how, how many uh, how many years have we been doing banking, Bradley? I think a few hundred years. And how, how well is that going from a self-regulation standpoint, right? <laughs> Enough said, right? So I think uh, it it, uh, it is what it is. I don't think it's an AI thing. Uh, you know, uh, banks know not to over leverage. Banks know not to take the money market money and put it in risky investments. Bank know that they need to maintain a certain ratio. And then I said, I think enough said, right? So still uh, things like that happen. So uh, when you have a capitalist economy for profit uh, and there's a race, uh, there is no self-regulation. And especially uh, from this perspective, we don't even understand what to regulate, to be honest. I mean, uh, what does need regulation? Uh, what is actually, uh, you know, requiring control? 
those answers, uh, those questions, we don't know the questions that we need to answer. So obviously we don't know those answers. Um, so I think it's really sort of like uncharted territories uh, for the most part. Um, and it's worrisome from that standpoint, uh, very worrisome, I'd say. Um, and there's going to be some, um, some situations which is going to cost uh, certain, you know, uh, that we can have some implications and then we're gonna have to learn from that. Coming back to this one, um, so I think there's a couple of thoughts, right? So, I mean, first of all, there's obviously, there's a, you know, uh, there's a few obvious missteps the way I see it. One is, um, you know, the, the, the design, the clunkiness, uh, like for example, you know, let's pick on Alexa cause it's been the pioneer in many ways, right? So they definitely overinvested in making, um, you know, the, the hardware side. And then they also, uh, underinvested, and I think that's one of the things that the article calls out as well, which I think is very, very true. It's on the money that you know the ecosystem around um, expanding on the capabilities uh, it was extremely clunky. And I personally, because I led back in the day uh, the the smart home business for Logitech, and we built a lot of these products that um, were uh, sort of built on top of the Alexa ecosystem. And it was extremely hard to add a skill uh, that, you know, if, if you're building a third party accessory um, and sort of connecting that with that, it was not sort of like an intuitive, it wasn't really like the app store. I mean, that the experience, which again, the article calls out, I think. So that kind of was a problematic and Apple was no better. And of course, I, I don't think Cortana even needs worth mentioning here. So I think that kind of led to that growth, that sort of like capping the growth in terms of sort of where these experiences can go beyond some of these simpler elements. But I also think that, um, I don't think it's done and over with yet. Um, I think what you're seeing is sort of like, you know, um, there is a, what, what these voice assistants did was to push the uh, boundaries on um, various aspects of NLP and NLU. And it has done a few things. One, it has commoditized, uh, you know, the transcription piece of it and the ASR piece of it uh, and various aspects of dialogue processing. It's commoditized. Uh, and, uh, you know, some of these things are really, really good, understands multiple languages, dialects, understands noisy environments. So now what you would see is probably, um, you know, the, the theory, Alexa and others will probably start using GPT-4 for the back end, right? And with more realistic voice synthesis, that can carry on a conversation and perhaps even avatars that are generated by AI that match the voice and it'll come to your living room. It'll come to your smart TV, um, you know, your, your therapist, your nurse, your, your legal help. And, um, and as the prompting of these GPT-4 language models, uh, large language models get better um, and you have a voice interface that is very advanced and sophisticated built by these voice engines already, and you connect those two, um, you have some amazingly new experiences come in. I mean, um, one of the things we're looking at is the whole voice bot, chat bot space. Uh, how will that be disrupted um, when a new company that can take some of these building blocks and plug in into an LLL, LLM API uh, can deliver an experience uh, that is superior to say a company that has taken hundreds of millions and billions of dollars of funding um, and also built uh, some specialized and niche experiences, let's say for legal and for that. And so, and there's a lot, lot of uh, things potentially getting disrupted in, in that category. We're, we're still trying to just figure this out. So summarize, I think, yes, uh, missed opportunity, lots of lost dollars, obviously, as you can sort of see with the massive layoffs in Amazon, most, most of them are in the Alexa group. Um, but also I'd say, um, not done and over with yet. I mean, voice is here to stay, um, and, uh, combining these elements with the elements of, uh, la large language models will make for a more sort of like, you know, um, it's also sort of gets us closer to AGI in, in many ways, and, um, it's going to be fairly interesting. No, that's great. Yeah, you covered a lot of ground there, and I agree with a lot of a lot of what you said. Uh, Amir, I'm going to go to you. Uh, you heard what Rana said. Uh, he recapped a lot of stuff in there. What's next for voice assistants? Um, indeed, um, I think that in the um, in light of the recent crisis, uh, Rana mentioned at the end of his uh, um, last statement. Um, 
um, obviously we see some, uh, my perspective is that uh, uh, there is some uh, collision that we see um, within this industry. Obviously it's, it, it, it is within uh, the landscape of, uh, of, of, of my company, Toxins, though we target uh, different uh, audience and different uh, customers. Um, so within uh, the smart speaker slash uh, personal um, voice assistants, I think that uh, there's a growing awareness by the audience to the ethical issues of, uh, of this, the, the, commercial, uh, the commercial giants that are using uh, the, in many cases proprietary personal data of their users. So the control that the, these corporations have over the data that, that we kind of um, volunteering to provide is um, is being manipulated uh, by them, and it, it it becomes some in some way um, uh, aware, uh, or people becomes aware of, of that, and and we see that in result um, many of the usages that uh, uh, the consumers are doing with a personal assistant are um, usually stays within the playing the music, uh, uh, getting the recent uh, uh, weather or simple things like that. And it didn't shift it into uh, uh, the voice commerce, uh, shopping via, via voice, et cetera, which would have been the next uh, step in growth of this uh, of the platform. Um, I, it, I agree that uh, in light of new technology, mainly in the background for NLPs and, and other uh, more sophisticated way to, to process um, the information, uh, it will be interesting to see what direction the, uh, these, these organizations will take in order to kind of um, justify or uh, still use what the, the huge technologies they built in order to make it um, viable and uh, grow further. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I, and, you know, I think there's a question of how quickly they manage to do it as well, which is what I'm watching for is... Uh, just like all four of y'all are sitting there thinking how to what extent do we need to be incorporating stuff like chat GPT into what we're doing these these big tech players that move way slower than than the four of y'all um they're having a lot of trouble with it and and even if you make the decision to incorporate uh LLMs you know such as chat GPT into what you're doing lest we forget OpenAI is moving at such a breakneck rate of speed that it almost, you have to like synchronize yourself. I think of this, the scene in um, uh, Interstellar uh, where, where they have to synchronize uh, the, the the shuttle up to the space station um, in order to dock. It's, it's a very similar to that. So yeah, I appreciate what you said. Lauren, I'm coming to you. Same question. Very simple. What's next for voice assistants? Yeah, I think... Um... You know, just taking a look through that article and, and in general, I think there's going to have to be sort of a convergence of those two technologies in order for them to continue to remain um, relevant. In other words, um, you know, using it for something as basic as the weather seemed great at the time um, and to the point of the article kind of hasn't gotten much more complicated or much more useful than that. So I think there's going to have to be some sort of way for the voice command prompts um, and tools to leverage the technology that's coming to be more commonly um, understood in all of these discussions around ChatGPT4, where you could say, you know, kind of the things that people are currently programming um, to make it more broadly or consumer friendly. Otherwise, it's going to remain um, sort of on the fringe. I would say, though, that the things, you know, of course, kind of putting the healthcare lens on things as I do. Um, one thing that still comes to mind for me around the voice tools is the element of privacy. Um, that's always going to be a concern. And I think now even more than ever, you know, things around, um, you know, I think one of you just mentioned sort of the, the listeners that aren't really necessarily um, supposed to be privy to some of this information related to healthcare. I think it's going to take a long time for people to trust that they can use that type of mechanism to share private or personal health information. You know, in a in an ideal world, you could skip a lot of the inefficiencies in healthcare with your provider, um, perhaps by speaking those things into a tool um, such as Alexa. But I don't think, um, you know, personally speaking, that there's enough trust 
in who the listeners are and what they'll use that information for to see that being a widespread um, application in the you know relatively near future. I think there's a lot of trust that needs to be gained first before it can be something um, broadly applicable, at least in the healthcare space. On the subject of trust, do you think that it matters um, the difference between Alexa, you know, being the progeny of Amazon, you know, one of the largest companies around versus ChatGPT being the progeny of OpenAI, a company that just seemingly sprung up yesterday, you know, has gotten large, but pretty much a, a startup tail. Is there a difference there in your mind? I'm just curious. Yeah, I mean, I don't personally, um, you know, subscribe to this opinion, but I, I do understand that people are either, you know, very favorable around Amazon and everything it's doing with relation to healthcare and innovation there. Um, you know, they've obviously entered into that space with a, a very clear um, agenda, or they're very cautious of it. And so depending on sort of where you fall in those two realms, I think that that would affect whether or not um, that's a concern, whereas OpenAI doesn't necessarily have the same widespread reputation of creating um, sort of a, a brand or a, a visceral reaction um, that Amazon does just by the nature of its, you know, rapid growth into all different industries, displacing smaller businesses, et cetera. I think people are either kind of all in on Amazon being the solution for most things, or they are strongly against that being the answer. And so, uh, whereas OpenAI, I don't think necessarily has the same sort of um, reactive um you know, impression as of yet. Uh, that's great. Yeah. So I appreciate you taking the impromptu follow-up there. Sure. Um, Amy, I'm coming to you. Same question. Uh, and you heard what Lauren said from a healthcare point of view. In your estimation, what's next for voice assistance? Yeah, well, I echo the thoughts already expressed regarding the technology, the AI needing to catch up, and I suspect they will try to try to uh stay course and pace with chat GPT, but uh, be really challenging. Um, I, where I sit, so our company uh, is, you know, serves businesses and healthcare. Um, and so I'm thinking a lot during this conversation about the B2B application. And there was actually an article published yesterday on NPR about just how much poorer uh, customer service is being viewed by consumer populations, uh, you know, in the last year or two when chatbots and uh, IVR and uh, assist, virtual assistants and uh, voice response has supposedly continued to evolve. So there's, I just see a huge opportunity for the the, the business application um, to improve significantly in our business, we do a lot of ingesting not only human to human conversations, but human to bot uh, conversations. And the the level of frustration uh, is is palpable uh, on the part of the consumers that are trying to engage. And, and I don't know if that's just an eight because it's a healthcare conversation, and so there there's a lot more emotion involved and you know sensitive. Uh, topics, or or if it's just because it's 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 just that bad. It's so very complex to try to get your uh, things, uh, your questions, your issues solved. And so um, there's a, a huge amount of of room that needs to be made up for uh, with assistance, um, virtual assistance on the on the on the B two B side. <clears throat> I saw something interesting yesterday amidst all the GPT stuff. Uh, and I, I struggle to remember where, uh, what the source was, but it was somebody who um, figured out that you can go to GPT-4 enabled AI and present um, just a very small amount of information about a merchant account charge, like a credit card charge that you've had uh, with different codes and abbreviations and stuff that would make no sense to like 99.9% .9 of people. And you can say, chat GPT, tell, you know, who, what business is this? What business charged this? You know, tell me everything you can about this, this charge that showed up on the bank statement. 
And this thing wrote it all. Uh, it named the business, the address of the business, uh, like the EIN, all this stuff. And my my mind goes to just just hearing your uh, response. Um, you know, I've had plenty of healthcare issues over my life, um, and uh, you know, I would love to be able to. Uh, among other things that I wish were different about your industry, uh, I wish I could go to um, some sort of technology like ChatGPT uh, or or the like and say, find all my medical records, go find them, and come back to me when you've got them all. Um, and you know, I, I I I'll give you some information. I was I lived here, or actually, better yet, you can just go search for me. You can pull my credit. You can pull my uh, background check, whatever it is you want to go pull, um, and uh, you go find it. And uh, boy, that would just be powerful because just from a healthcare point of view, the you know I'm I'm I have a lot of resources, and and it's hard for me even to keep up with all of my medical records, much less, a, a, you know, somebody else who who doesn't. So th that's just one aspect of many that could be different about healthcare, and and it's exciting just to hear. Uh, you know, you and Lauren ruminate on on all of this, uh, not just with the voice assistance, but with the previous story as well. So we've got about five minutes left. And story number three, I'm going to read it out loud because it's the, among other things, it's the first article from CX today that we've ever had on the show. So I don't want to, I want to make sure I get it on here for the record from Charlie Mitchell. Gartner Magic Quadrant for Enterprise Conversational AI Platforms 2023. That's not a sentence, but basically the article is, is recapping who Gartner put on their Magic Quadrant uh, chart. So uh, my question is going to be real simple, and this will be short and take us to the end. I'm going to go in the original order. So, Amy, I'm going to start with you. Uh, you can give me a one-sentence answer or something close to that. Uh, do you care about Gartner and this chart? <laughs> and, oh. uh, I find it interesting. I think there's a lot of solutions that are missing. Um, and I wish that conversational AI could be a broader topic than chatbot alone. We consider ourselves uh, conversational AI and we're all about listening, synthesizing, and giving the whole so what of all this unstructured data. <laughs> So I hear us. I hear a sort of not really there. Um, no, that's that's good, Lauren. Same question for you. Uh, you know, I've seen a bunch of people talking about this chart, uh, but I've also seen a bunch of people talking negatively about the chart. Um, do you care? Does Wisa care? I think my answer would be similar to Amy's in that I think it's a, a more narrow view than we would take as well. Um, you know, similarly, we are also delivering conversational AI and have done so for, a, you know, seven years already at this point with almost a million conversations. And I think it's, it's a good way to aggregate some of the bigger players just for the general public, but I don't think it should be viewed as sort of the end all be all of, of um, those in the industry or those worth paying attention to or, or noticing. I think I would argue that um, there are many such as Wiza and others that would fall into that bucket as well if we were really taking a comprehensive look. Excellent. And uh, Amir, coming to you, <clears throat> you're in a little bit different of a, of a sphere, but still I'm going to ask you the same question. Do you care about this? Does this resonate with you at all, this Gartner Magic Quadrant? In general, uh, I think the Gartner analysts are doing um, very thorough um, work when they analyze a market segment, a technology, a trend, etc. Uh, but I also agree with uh, Amy and Lauren. It's uh, in many cases, uh, uh, it's uh, especially if, if you are not in a business which is um, in the major part of the of the of the report, you will not fall exactly under what it is co it covers. So uh, it might not be um, you know uh, um, covering uh, enough uh, areas or enough space to include what you're doing. Okay, so that's uh, that's good. And Rana, same question to you. Um, Gardner Magic Quadrant on conversational AI, does this matter to you? Does this something, something you pay attention to? Does it resonate at all? I mean, I'd say I care about it a lot, 
because it's very misleading. Um, and um, so, you know, it has to be cared about from that perspective. And, but, you know, I, you know, having been in this industry for a while, uh, you have to understand that, um, that Gartner works in a certain way. Um, there are specific uh, sort of attributes around categorization uh, of uh, certain, uh, certain terms that they use, and you have to sort of understand it under that context. And um, it often might seem misleading because in the industry, uh, the word conversational AI has uh, it's a tend to be tends to be overused. I think you know uh, pretty much every company now to, uh, sort of uh, speaks to branding themselves as a conversational AI player. Um, and but Gartner has a very specific definition of that. And then there are other aspects of dialogue processing and conversational AI that they call under different terms and different names. And so they're speaking of something, but most uh, readers and uh, you know the industry is looking at it from a different perspective. So I think there's misalignment and I think there needs to be a correction for that because obviously um, you know uh, what the industry thinks is probably the more important part uh, because that, that's what sort of uh, creates this uh, aspect of this being misled. Um, so I think, yeah, I think from that perspective and I do agree with what Amy said in, uh, in the beginning that it's way more, I mean, the, the sector is way more than just uh, voice bots and chatbots. Um, there's, there's a lot of other aspects uh, that go into it outside of chatbots. Um, and, uh, but the categorization is somewhat, uh, somewhat complex. Yeah, it could be simplified. It seems a little lacking. That was my response uh, when yeah. I spoke to CX today about it. Um, you know, Gardner is full of sophisticated, intelligent people, uh, but I'm not sure how useful uh, this magic quadrant is, except to the marketing departments of those uh, various enterprises, uh, which might have a different opinion. Um, for this week in voice, thanks to all of y'all for being being our guest. Fantastic. We appreciate uh, all of you. Amy, Lauren, Rana, Amir, thank you for taking the time to be part of the show. Thank you. Thank you so thanks, much. Bradley. For This Week in Voice, Season 8, Episode 9, thank you for listening. If you're on your podcast provider of choice and watching, if you're watching us on YouTube, until next time.